Hello, and welcome to the First Baptist Hanford podcast. Our primary mission at FBH is to love God, love people, and serve the world. We hope that this weekly podcast will encourage you in your daily walk with Christ as we play for you our most recent sermon audio. Let's have a listen. We're, uh, we're continuing in our series in the Gospel of John. I am he, um, and uh, we, have, we are taking a, a kind of a slow approach through the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 4 this week, um, and so you can flip to chapter 4. But if you've been kind of carrying along with us, one of the things you'll recognize is today we are skipping over one of my favorite stories in the Gospel of John, which is the woman at the well. And it's not because I don't want to share it with you because it's my story or whatever, uh, but we just preached three months ago. John is really thick and really dense. And so because of that, we're going to skip to the end of chapter four. If you would like to listen to that message um, on, uh, on, on the woman at the well that we preached through a few months ago, we'll do our best to make that available to you online this week. Um, but uh, this passage of scripture, we're really talking about faith. And in my line of work, shocker, a lot of people ask me about what it means to have faith. What is faith? How do I believe in a God that I can't see? How do I reconcile science with the idea of creationism? How do those things go together in any way, shape, or form? And eventually, all of us have to come to terms with the fact that we have to have faith in something. And in Christian circles, we really do love over-spiritualizing the idea of faith. But in reality, everyone has a faith of some kind. Every single person has a faith of some kind. What, uh, what do you turn to when you're in a place of desperation? And my guess is, is whatever you have faith in is what it is that you turn to. For some of us, our hope would be that that is Jesus. Well, for hopefully all of us, our hope would be that is Jesus. And then for others, maybe it's family. You know, maybe for us, some sort of drug abuse or that sort of thing, when I can't handle reality anymore. And so because of that, in desperation, I'm going to turn to this substance, fill in the blank, whatever it is. We all have something, though. And so I, I, I can actually prove it to you. I can prove it to you. Uh, I have a friend. My friend's name, I have one friend. Um, his name is Kyle Griffin. So Kyle, can you come up on a stage real quick wherever you are? Give Kyle a round of applause as he comes up. Yeah, right here. Right here. All right. Here, go ahead and, and hold this. Nope, it's not for me. Um, any smart remarks that you make is being recorded and distributed online. So just remember that it's more than just these people um, who, are, who are in here. So in front of you is a chair, a standard chair, right? Would you call it a standard chair? I mean, I would call it a little small. Yeah, a little small, but uh, but yes, but, a, chair. It, but it would be a standard chair, though, right? Correct, yes. I mean, depending on the size of person, but it is it is a chair. It's got four legs. It's got a back to it. It's got a seat to it. All the screws are in there. Don't worry. I'm not trying to like make you get hurt or anything like that. Okay. So chair. there is a standard chair on stage, albeit very small for a person of your stature, right? Um, if you sat in that chair, you would probably be eating your knees. As a matter of fact, is that correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. So here's my question for you. My question for you this morning is, is uh, uh, well, it's a statement first. You are going to sit in a chair this morning. Okay. So my question for you is, is would you rather sit in this chair 
or we're gonna go game show on you, or sit behind the chair that we have behind door number one. Well, see, I've, I've watched this game show before, and you always choose the door. You, you know? always I'm choose go the door. door. He said, he's going with the door, everybody. He's going with the door. Give him a round of applause. Jeff, go ahead and bring it out. So obviously, in this instance, you have chosen pretty well, actually. So Kyle, go ahead, grab a seat, make yourself, make yourself comfortable. Before you do, before you do, there are a lot of pieces, there are a lot of things that go on with that chair, right? No, don't, don't look any closer than you need to look, okay? So I'll give you one more opportunity to switch. You can, you can continue to sit in the chair that was behind door number one, or you can sit in this lovely, small, statured seafoam green chair that you see in front of you. Which chair would you like to sit in? <laughs> You're going to go in this. Okay, go ahead. So you go ahead and sit in that chair. Just remember, you made this choice yourself. Perfect. Good. Hey, he did it, everybody. Give him a round of applause. Get out of here. Go sit in your real chair. Thank you, Kyle. So the whole reason that I brought Kyle on the stage, and that was a poor decision, especially seeing the Seahawks jersey that he was wearing this morning. That's okay. That's okay. There's an undefeated team in the NFC that you all need to know about. But uh, anyway, yeah, 49er fans are like, woo, first time in like a decade we can cheer. Um, but the deal is, is that every single person is a person of faith in some way, shape, or form. Okay, so Kyle, this is pretty low stakes. This was low stakes for Kyle. I mean, worst case scenario, he sits into this chair and the entire thing breaks and comes apart. And to be fair, it actually won't. I checked the chair, and I'm going to preach the rest of the morning from here. No, it wouldn't, and obviously this chair was fine as well, but Kyle had to decide the object that he was going to put his faith in. What was the object of faith? Was it going to be this guy? While it does look like a standard chair for a small person, could he have put his faith in this? Or a more standard-looking chair that he was going to put his faith in. The object of his faith really was uh, what determined what his faith looked like. So everyone is a person of faith. And he didn't have to say, Jesus is my Savior, to pick one of these two chairs. Jesus really isn't even on the board regarding these two chairs. He simply had to say, which object am I going to put my faith into? This little one that would have made him look foolish, or this standard size one that would have, maybe you still look foolish because of the jersey you're wearing. But regardless, <laughs> he had to choose in some way, shape, or form. So having faith isn't the issue. We all have faith. What we struggle with is the object of our faith. It is your object of faith that always determines the nature of your faith. And that's your, first, that's your first slide that we have on the screen. It is your object of faith that always deter determines the nature of your faith. It's not even the intensity of your faith. It's not even uh, the sincerity of your faith. You are a person of faith. Regardless of where you're at in life, you are a person of faith. Perhaps you've come in and you're a uh, specific, my faith is in Jesus person. And my guess is the majority of people in here would say that because this is a church. So the majority of you would probably say, my faith is in Jesus. But this morning, what I want you to do is I want you to ask yourself, why? Why is it that I am a person of faith in Jesus? There are a lot of people, there are a lot of reasons that people are interested in him. 
A lot of reasons that people pursue him or get excited about him, but not all of them are aligned with how Jesus himself understands and articulates what faith in him is. And so this morning, we're going to take an opportunity to, to dig into John 4, starting in verse 43. And Jesus is going to have an interaction with an official. This is what it says. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water to wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. Okay, so for those of you who have been trekking along with us for the last couple months going, into, go, going through the book of John, right? Jesus' first miracle was, was turning water into wine at Cana in Galilee. Okay, and so they are, they are hearkening back to that story. John is, John is allowing us to see, hey, we are in the same location that Jesus did his first miracle. What he's doing is setting the stage for the fact that Jesus is a miracle worker, and they would have known him as such as he was there. The Galileans have a faith in Jesus. They welcome Jesus based on the miraculous signs and wonders. They're not worried about Jesus making them clean. They're not worried about Jesus making them new, forgiving their sin, saving them from God's wrath, anything like that, because their faith assumed acceptance by God. That's what their faith was. They assumed acceptance by God. Oh, we're in the family of God. We don't have wealth or influence, but we know we're the good people. So we look to God to give us things that we desire and need beyond what, what we can do on our own. So we're going to look to God for that. <clears throat> and now surface level, that sounds good. That sounds okay. We're like, yep, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus because Jesus has done the miraculous. He can do something beyond me. And so I am ex assuming acceptance by him. They welcome Jesus. They love Jesus because of what they think they can get from Jesus. Jesus had turned water into wine, like I said, in the region, and it brought joy, it brought celebration to a community, and likely wealth and honor to a young couple, right? Can you imagine if you're the young couple at this wedding? Like, for the rest of your life, you're known as the couple whose wedding Jesus turned water into wine at. Like, this couple probably had a, had a higher stature because of what actually went down, <clears throat> And during Passover in Jerusalem, many people from the region came down and they saw Jesus clean out the temple courts. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, where he just came, he's flipping tables, he made a whip, and he's, you know, just driving people out who are money changers, people who are, who are desecrating the temple courts. And so there are a whole bunch of people who saw them there, who saw Jesus there. But clearly, there were several who believe in Jesus because of the signs that he performed. That's why the welcoming committee was there when they came in. Their welcome, see their welcome was sign dependent. So their faith then was conditional. See, uh, we, we welcome Jesus because, what, uh, because of what we hope he will do. Not because, of what, not because of what he has already done. They're not interested in Jesus, Savior of the world, like, like they are more interested in Jesus, the miracle worker. We have several 
popular movements where they talk about Jesus. They talk about Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. They talk about God, and it's all focused on what they say God will do for you. If you do this, God will do this for you. Usually it comes in the form of money. If you simply give your check of $1,000 right now, God, the Holy Spirit, will come and save your loved one from sickness and death and disease. Fill in the blank. Oh, you, you're struggling because you don't have a job. If you simply write a check for $75, God is going to bless you in your next job interview, and you are going to have a job for the rest of your life. That is exactly what we have going on here. We just have a modern-day context for it. So people have faith in Jesus because of what they hope Jesus will do. Their faith is based on the things that they can or will do rather than what Jesus has said, rather than, what, rather than who Jesus is and who, or what Jesus has done. There is less focus on the sacrifice of, cro of the cross. There's less focus on the forgiveness of sin and much more on the Spirit's powers, specifically in regards to bringing signs and wonders. That's what we have going on with the televangelists and that sort of, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them. In contrast, where Jesus has come from in Samaria, there is a faith that's not grounded on what they hope Jesus will do, but what he has done, and most importantly, who he is. So immediately before this, remember I said right before this, we skipped over the story of the woman at the well. So Jesus was walking through Samaria, which we're not going to unpack the whole thing, but it would have been a big deal. And Jesus sat, and there was a woman drawing water there. And as she was drawing water, Jesus and this woman really shouldn't have interacted at all because of who they were, man, woman, Samaritan, Jew. Most of you have heard this before. But they shouldn't have interacted. Jesus performed no miraculous signs and wonders for this woman. None of it. Jesus simply told her who he was. And as he said who he was, she then went back, told everybody she knew, her oikos, and they came back to Jesus. And then Jesus told them who he was, and then all of them placed their faith in Christ. So it's interesting where we have a, a place that is mostly Jewish, that is sign dependent on God, People who, who say, yep, we have faith, we are of the Jewish lineage, we are God's chosen people, but we're going to put our faith in this Jesus guy as long as he keeps showing us magic tricks. And then we have another town in Samaria that is largely the forgotten group of people. Jews would have hated Samaritans, and Jesus did no signs and wonders there, but simply told them who he was. And as he told him who, they, who he was, they came to faith in Christ. In this region, with a culture regarding Jesus for what he can do, this is Samaria, or what, what, uh, this is uh, Cana and Galilee, what he can do and the miracles he can perform, there is a man here of great importance who is also in great need. And he's 15 miles away down the hill from Cana. He's a man of, of wealth, He's a man of resources, he's a man of influence, and this man has a young son who is ill, and with all his power, with all of his resources, with all of his wealth, he can't heal him. 
There is nothing that he can do. And so the story continues in verse 47. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe me. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. I want to call your attention back to verse 48, where it says, so Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. He's reminding him, hey, unless you see the magic tricks, like you're going to keep me on the fringe. Your faith is conditional on what I do for you. Your faith is conditional on what you hope it is that I am going to do. And so some of the things that we need to remember because of all of this is that we need to recognize that faith comes from hearing about Jesus. What happens when, when what you've heard about Jesus meets what you need from Jesus? And that's what we have going on to what he has heard about Jesus and what he needs from Jesus. News of what Jesus can do has, has permeated the region. The results of Jesus acting uh, have led to people being interested in hearing more about who he is. So as people hear that he's turned water into wine, as, he re as people recognize that he drove people out of the temple courts, because of those things that he did, they are now interested in hearing more about him. I've heard about the things that Jesus has done for others, is probably the thought. I wonder if something can be done to change, change what I can't in my life. I've heard about it. Man, I wonder, I wonder if he can help me. This official is in desperate need. He's in a desperate situation. His son has more than a cold. His son will not recover from this illness. He's at the point of death. Everything else has likely been tried, considering who the man is. A man of wealth, of resources. All options exhausted. When there is nothing left to try, what does he do? I'm going to try Jesus. When there's nothing left to try, let's try Jesus. But we need to understand that faith doesn't come to Jesus with the answer, but it seeks the answer in Jesus. Faith, it, it, Jesus, um, uh, the official already has the answer. Jesus is going to show up and fix this. Think about times in your life when you are in desperate need and the only option left is Jesus. That's the only option that you have left, right? Maybe, maybe you have a similar situation where you have someone in your life who's very, very ill and the doctors have done everything they could. They've run all the tests that they can. You've done the private medicine thing. Said we can't, we, we have exhausted every single resource that we have. So you know what? I'm going to go to Jesus with this. And on the surface, that's a good thing. But when you scratch that surface just a little bit, you see that you already have the answer that you want. The answer that we want in this is Jesus fix this. That's what we want. That's what we hope for. And I'm not even necessarily saying that's a bad thing, but if your faith is contingent on that, that's a bad thing. So if you're saying, hey, look, man, uh, my, my spouse is sick. We've done everything that we can possibly do. Jesus, it is time for you to fix this. That's a bad thing if our faith is contingent on Jesus' yes. 
It's an unhealthy thing. And I would venture to say that's really not faith in Jesus. That's faith in miracles. We need to put our faith into Jesus. Because faith comes from engaging with Jesus and being challenged by Jesus. That's where our faith comes from. Jesus' answer is, is a rebuke to the official. It's a rebuke, like I read in 28. He's like, look, you won't believe. You won't believe unless you see signs and wonders. And the official, I love this, the official doesn't even answer that question. He just glazes over it and re-asks the question. That he like, like, this is the answer that I want. He tells them, you, and this is, the, the, the version of the word is a people, it's a plural, it's like all of you, not you specifically, not you, Kyle, but you, everybody. He says, you people only believe in what you can see. You only have faith in signs and wonders, not the one who the signs and wonders come from or point to. You want a magician. You don't want a savior, is what he is telling them. So then it begs the question for us, well, why does Jesus even do signs and wonders? What's the point of it? Because if all we're going to do is put our faith in somebody with the signs and wonders, if all we're going to do is put our faith in signs and wonders, rather, why would Jesus even show up on the scene like that? We don't place faith in Jesus so he'll give signs and wonders. Jesus gave signs and wonders so we could believe him. And it's just a small, I mean, it's just a very small uh, correction to theology. That so often people get out of balance. And we think, I'm going to believe in him because of his signs and wonders. And that's what we should do. But we don't believe in him in hope for signs and wonders. Does that make sense? It's a very small, like tiny little distortion. But it's true. Jesus sounds a bit cold here as he's even rebuking this guy. I mean, you know, his son is dying, and Jesus seems more concerned with the nature of his belief, right? It'd be like you're praying for your, 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 your dying spouse or whatever it may be, hypothetical dying spouse. And the pastor in the room is like, and you're not going to, God's not going to answer that prayer because all you want to do is see signs and wonders. Like, it seems like a pretty cold and callous place for Jesus to try to rebuke him regarding his theology here. Right? I mean, most pastors I know would be like, yes, amen, amen, brother, right? And just keep moving forward and never get back to this teaching aspect. So, so why is it then that Jesus takes this opportunity to be able to rebuke this official, to talk to this official about the state of his faith when, when man, his son is dying a physical death right now? It's because Jesus is more concerned with a spiritual death in the life of his son and the official than he is on the physical death of his son. And as we're going to see in a second, all Jesus has to do is say, hey, your son is healed and he will be so. So when we look at this whole idea of Jesus like rebuking somebody and Jesus rebuking somebody in an awkward situation and correcting his theology and that sort of thing. It's because he's more concerned with the state of the, phys or the, the spiritual death rather than the physical and can we just, as a church, recognize that we aren't concerned enough about that? As the capital C church, not FBH, but the church as a whole, that over and over and over again, we pray for those people who are dying a spiritual death, and we all will. Or a physical death, excuse me. We all will die a physical death. 
But that's the vast majority of the prayer requests that we get. And I say it's a bad thing, right? We want, we want Jesus to heal those people that we love. We want Jesus to heal us. But it's very seldom we get a prayer request begging and pleading for us to pray for somebody who's dying a spiritual death in their lives. And it's a hard reality. But Jesus is far more concerned about the spiritual health of these people than he is about the physical health. So for the, for the official and for us, Jesus wants to just fix what is wrong in his life, but he wants to fix what's wrong in his heart. You know, for him, it's Jesus, I don't, want to, I don't want to talk theology. I just want you to fix what's going on in my life. Don't teach me. Help me. Jesus is helping him by showing him what genuine faith is. Hebrews 11.1, 1, it tells us, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. This is the definition of faith that we're given in the Bible. By definition, is a trust in Jesus not seeing and experiencing something tangible. Faith is, is believing the word of Jesus before experiencing the healing of Jesus. Faith is saying yes to Jesus regardless if he says yes to your prayers or no to your prayers. That's real faith. And that's difficult to come to. Because we live in a society that we want to say, we want people to say yes to. Man, we're, we, we live in this wonderful American society where we fix problems. Man, we got a, we got a problem, I'll fix it, man. We had our, our alternator on our Suburban just die on us a couple weeks back. And, and uh, a guy in our congregation was kind enough to call me and be like, hey, you want to fix your alternator this morning? It's like, nope. But you can. Um, I helped him. I held wrenches. Um, and, but he came over. He's like, hey, there's a problem. Let's fix the problem. Let's just take care of it, right? Like that is, the, that is where we are as Americans. That's a good thing. So if we see somebody in our lives dying a physical death, what do we do? We're like, Jesus, fix this. And we want it to get fixed. And our faith is shocked when it isn't. Because how can we have and love a good God if God doesn't give me the things that I want? Now, I've told this story before, but when my dad passed away, or my dad had cancer, he had a five-year bout with cancer, it frustrated me so much that never once did my dad pray for God to heal him. It frustrated me. Just like, are you kidding me right now? Like, I'm in my room praying every single day that God would take the cancer out of you, Dad, and here you are just sitting here praying that God would be glorified in the midst of it. Well, wouldn't God be more glorified, Dad, if he cures you from cancer? And that's a valid question. And you guys have probably dealt with some of those questions in your lives before, too. And we think our, our finite, small minds, we just think to ourselves, well, obviously God's going to be glorified the best way if he would heal him. That, that, that makes the most sense. But now when I'm on the other side of my dad's death, when I'm on the other side of his struggle with cancer, and I see all of the blessings that have come out of the fact that my dad passed away, which is a weird sentence to say, 
I recognize that God has been way more glorified in his death than he would have been if my dad was cured of cancer. And that's a weird thing. That's a hard thing for us to come to terms with. It's a hard thing for me to come to terms with. They're saying, wait, time out, God. Like, you couldn't glorify yourself just as much and give me the things that I wanted? You couldn't do that? And God's probably like, yeah, I could have done that. I can do whatever. And that's the problem, is that we forget that God can do whatever. And so we need to recognize that our faith is not conditional on signs and wonders and miraculous things that happen. Jesus isn't our magician. God isn't there for us to pray and just fix things. That's not the case. Jesus doesn't respond to us on our terms. We respond to to Jesus on his terms. We don't negotiate with God. We surrender to God. And those are, those are hard things. He responds with, with faithful obedience. The official here, he responds with faithful obedience to what Jesus has said to him. Jesus gave him a promise and Jesus gave him a direction at the very end. So the official converted from one who was interested in what he hoped Jesus could do to trusting the word of life proclaimed by him. And so Jesus said, hey, look, just go, go. And he did, and he believed him. And we don't even understand what happened at the end of the story yet, but genuine faith doesn't come from seeing miracles performed. But when genuine faith is exper- has experienced a miracle, or when genuine faith is experienced, a miracle has been performed. Jesus speaks good news. He tells them good news. Jesus spoke and he believed. This man is walking out in faith. He's responding to good news from Jesus. His healed son is good news. But let's be clear. Jesus doesn't say, go, walk in obedience, and I will then heal your child. This isn't a karma situation that we have going on here. It's not, hey, if you do good things, God's going to bless you. That is, you will not find that in Scripture. Actually, it seems to be that the opposite is true. Hey, follow Jesus, disciples and apostles. Follow Jesus, and you will be killed. That's a hard sell for anyone. But that seems to be what is true. And coming back to it, faith is trusting Jesus even when his answer isn't what we want or when his promise isn't for now, but for later. See, when I was in the midst of the situation of my dad walking through cancer, there's no way I could have seen 12 years ahead. There's no way I could have seen the amount of people that I have been able to to relate to on a personal level, that I have been able to share his story with. There's no way I could have seen that back then. See, God's promise wasn't to bless us then. God's promise wasn't to say yes to my prayers then. God's promise was to say yes eventually. You want to see me glorified? Wait. 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 You'll see me glorified because of this. And man, at the time, my faith, so conditional on what Jesus was doing. It was an angry season of life for me. Angry at God just mad. 
because here we are, Sarah and I had just gotten married. I had just gotten my first job as a, as a youth pastor. Like there's all this life change going on. And in that season, as a 22-year-old, it's just like, who, who do I turn to? Your dad. My dad. And all of a sudden, that was taken from me. And I didn't understand how I could, re- how, how I could reconcile, how it could be reconciled that my dad being gone was going to glorify God more than him being on earth. And God just consistently said, wait, wait, wait. My promises are true. Wait. And to recognize that it wasn't about me. So to finish the story, starting in verse 51, it says this. As he was going down, the official, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. Remember, this is 15-mile trek. Okay? So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all of his household. Also, you want to know that word household right there? Oikos. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. And walking in obedience to the truth of Jesus' word is faith-affirming. Walking in obedience is faith-affirming. Seeing the results of Jesus' work is faith-affirming. Faith was already expressed and walked in. And Jesus, who Jesus was, was affirmed after he believed. It wasn't Jesus fixed this, but Jesus, I believe you. And Jesus fixed it. It's a small distortion. Faith isn't simply hoping in a make-believe God that never acts, though. So I'm not saying God is just going to say no or he's going to say wait. Sometimes it's a big old fat yes. And it's exciting and it's terrifying all at the same time. Sometimes God gives us glimpses and we receive news that reveals and remind us that our faith isn't in vain and our hope isn't foolish. It gives us even greater confidence that our, that our faith is well placed when it's placed in Jesus. And God is so good to give us those moments of assurance that it was him working to bring healing and life moving in us and through us. See, faith is recognizing when God has acted. Faith is recognizing when God has acted. Where in your life have you been given healing? So, so often we think about, you know, our own like injuries or sickness or whatever. But how has God walked you through difficult situations in your life. And there is a, uh, a ship that has been uh, consistently kept uh, on duty over and over and over, delayed. Um, and they were supposed to get home in October. It's a naval ship. October, I think, was the first time. September, I don't know. I'm looking for confirmation somewhere. Then October, then December, and now January, into January, into February. Man, you talk about people whose spouses are on that ship with small kids at home or not, or not having kids at home either and they're by themselves, whatever it may be, and it's just hope deferred over and over and over and over again. And when you're amidst situations like that, it's so, so hard to see how God is working and how God is, is going to be glorified through all of this.
but ultimately we see God glorified when we walk through this. Simply stated, and I feel like John is dense and theologically sound as his book is, I would say that there is a very, very simple takeaway from our morning. And the takeaway that I want you to leave here with is simply this. Trust Jesus. And it's a simple one, and it's one that's like, oh, that's an easy one. Man, homework done for the week. Check. But examine your heart and examine what it is that you have your faith in. Because for a lot of us, our faith is conditional on what Jesus has done for us. It's that old saying, what have you done for me lately? And too often we allow who we assume Jesus is to slip into that very thing as well. God, what have you done for me lately? Jesus, what have you done for me lately? See, because our faith isn't conditional on what God will do. Our faith is conditional on what Jesus has already done on our behalf. That's one of the things that we celebrate here. The first, uh, first weekend of every month, we celebrate communion. So I'm going to ask our, uh, those who are serving communion this morning to go ahead and get to your battle stations. But communion really is uh, an opportunity to celebrate what Jesus has already done in our lives, what Jesus has already accomplished on our behalf, that we don't have to do anything special, we don't have to do anything magical, that Jesus has already taken care of all of it. And so communion really is an opportunity uh, for us to just say yes to Jesus and who he is, to search our hearts, this morning, our tradition is uh, the first weekend of the month is when we take communion. And for those who are new to, new to faith, communion was established uh, in the upper room by Jesus on the night before he was betrayed, the night before his trial and eventual crucifixion. See, we receive communion as a way to remember who Christ is and what he has already accomplished. We don't take communion because Jesus was a magician who did miraculous signs for us to see. We take communion to remember what he has already done. See, our faith is rooted there in what has been accomplished, not what we hope he will accomplish. There is an obedience to it, to say yes to God. We receive that communion as a way to remember him. You don't have to be a member of our church in order to partake in communion here. We simply ask that you've acknowledged Jesus as your Lord and Savior in your life, that you have said yes uh, to God and are part of the family of Christ before taking the elements. And so we're going to pray in just a second. Um, and if that's you, if you're someone who's been kind of holding out for a magician Jesus, someone who's saying, you know what, God, I, my faith is contingent on what you can do for me. If that was you, I hope you found some clarity this morning in assuming that, that Jesus, my faith isn't contingent on those things. My faith is based on you and you alone and what you've already accomplished. We're going to pray for you. But in a second, our, our ushers are going to come forward. They're going to distribute the elements. And we just want you to know that each, each cup is double stacked. So make sure you take two, okay? And one is the bread, the other the juice. Kyle, is gonna, Kyle and Debbie are going to lead us in some worship in just a second. We're going to sing a song. And then in between those two songs, we'll take uh, the bread and the juice together. But before we do that, uh, we're going to bow and we're going to pray. And man, our hope is, is that you come into the family of Christ this morning and we get to take your first communion together. So let's pray.
Father, we're thankful for what you've already accomplished. We're thankful for what you did on the cross. And God, we recognize that our faith should not be contingent on what you will do. But it's the opposite, God. It's it's what you've done for us. That everything, everything is contingent on what you have already done. There is nothing in this life, there's nothing in this universe that hasn't been touched by you and what your son accomplished on the cross. So God, we're so thankful for that. And God, for those who have not yet said yes to you, have not yet said yes to loving you in their lives, I just pray that they would pray along with me with eyes still closed and heads still bowed. That you would just say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I messed up. Every single day I messed up. And I can't do it apart from you. So I admit that I'm a sinner in need, in need of a Savior. And I believe that you went to the cross and the work is finished there. That you took my sin, you took my shame, you bore all of those things upon yourself. So I could be with you forever. It's because of what you already did. And see, I choose to follow you every single day of my life, which means that my faith isn't contingent on what you will do throughout my day, but my faith is contingent on what you've already done. God, we're so thankful for your son and his finished work on the cross. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the FBH Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this week's sermon. Music was by the band Broke for Free. And if you would like more information about our church, feel free to check out fbhanford.org. That's fbhanford.org. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.